This is the choice we now face. This is what the election comes down to. Over and over, we've been told by our opponents that bigger tax cuts and fewer regulations are the only way. That since government can't do everything, it should do almost nothing. If you can't afford health insurance, hope that you don't get sick. If a company releases toxic pollution into the air your children breathe, well, that's the price of progress. If you can't afford to start a business or go to college, take my opponent's advice and borrow money from your parents. You know what? That's not who we are. That's not what this country's about. Thanks for joining Achieve Great Things. This is episode 14. This week we're talking with Emily Norman, who's the Vice President of Analytics at the Global Strategy Group. Really interesting conversation. She has uh, experience in communications, digital research and analytics. And we talk a lot about um, some advances in sort of analytics and polling using social media to hopefully try to balance out some of the the imbalance and the problems that we've seen with traditional polling over the past a um, couple of years or, or several years. We also talk about widening the circle and trying to appeal to broader groups of people as we're thinking about how to um, engage people in the political and advocacy process. Emily reminds us that while it may be tempting to to blame people um, who, who voted in, in a way that we don't agree with or who support people that we don't agree with, those actually are a lot of times the people who we're fighting for. And so we need to remember to, to have empathy and to listen and to really do our best to understand their perspective. So I thought that was a really great, great contribution. She also has a couple other really practical tips for communicators. So really fun conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Um, if you haven't already, please review us on iTunes. Uh, let us know what you think and, and send us thoughts, comments, feedback, ideas to podcast at hadaway.com. This is RJ from Hadaway. We appreciate you listening and uh, we'll see you here next week. We're here with Emily Norman, who's the VP of Analytics for Global Strategy Group. Yes. Welcome. Hi. She came all the way down from New York to visit us. <laughs> Just to see us. <laughs> to see us. Um, and I'm here with my colleague, Kate, who people will remember from um, a few episodes ago. Kate brought us together with Emily. We were just discussing that you work sort of at the intersection of communications and research and analytics, and you're also a digital expert. Oh, yes. Totally a digital expert. <laughs> Not at all. Um, but you have background in all those areas, so it'll be interesting to get your take on um, some of the questions that we ask all of our guests. Yeah. So I guess just first, do you want to tell us about your kind of career path and how you ended up at GSG? Sure. Gee, how I ended up at GSG is a weird one. But um, <laughs> so my career path, so I grew up in rural Connecticut, which no one thinks of as rural, but um, I was always good at math and came from a family who it wasn't necessarily right that you'd go to college and they really invested in me. Um, and then I got very, very lucky coming out of college with a math degree. I went to work at McKinsey, um, which is a large private consulting firm. I specialized in consumer insights and predictive modeling. Um, and I worked at McKinsey from 2007 through 2009. So I actually experienced the crash um, wow. and went from being super hopeful in all of these growth products to basically doing cost cutting um, and looking around and seeing that a lot of things that I didn't agree with, um, I couldn't actually change there and really had to be changed at the policy level. Um, and what I, 
I wasn't sure I could be a policy expert, but I was pretty sure I could get people to buy a product or a politician um, because that's what I did at McKinsey. Um, at that point in time, it was 2010, and you could just take like a four-hour exam to be on the analytics team. Um, it was not cool yet, just like it's not cool again right now. <laughs> um, and uh, so I joined the DNC team as an elections desk and did from Colorado West in the 2010 cycle. So that meant I was working on the polling and election analysis on the analytics side for races like Boxer, Brown, Murray, Bennett, Gabby Giffords, um, and really got my feet wet sort of drinking through the fire hose there. Um, from 2010, I very quickly, out of the DNC side, did the analytics behind the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell out of the DNC um, and trying to help figure out how to put pressure on um, different members to get that through in the lame duck section. And then starting January was planning for Obama and was part of the first wave that joined his analytics mm -hmm. team in 2012. Um, went through the uh, Obama, like went through 2012. Um, I headed the constituency analytics for the campaign. So it was my job not to know what was happening in a state, but to know how any certain group felt about the president at any given time, from focus groups all the way down to um, different message testing, how we're personalizing messages, what we're thinking about. Um, so whether it was veterans or young people or women or teachers, um, I, sh I tried to keep my eyes on all of it um, and really help if something worked well in Florida, communicating that to New Mexico, communicating that to Colorado, communicating that to Pennsylvania. Um, post 2012, when you have that kind of dream job, what do you do? <laughs> um, I first uh, went back to private consulting for a hot minute, um, decided that wasn't gonna be my jam, um, and went, came back here to DC and started working in schools, actually getting into sort of the analytics tech piece of this. So I, um, was working for a school system and helping really consolidate their data and thinking if you guys have worked on campaigns almost think like a teacher is like an fo and what are they being what quick things can they be prepared with in 10 minutes in a day to get them through the day and to teach better mm -hmm. um, what information can we give that really helps uh, a principal make a choice at a really hard moment um after that i <laughs> was um getting older and one of the things i found in analytics um, was that a lot of people were stressed out that I only had my bachelor's degree. Um, so I went back to grad school so that people would stop asking me <laughs> if I felt comfortable managing PhDs. Um, and um, at that time, I also was doing a number of consulting projects. So I consulted with Emily's List. I was working with UNHCR on refugee issues and analytics there. Um, I was working for... Um, the AFL-CIO, I was working, I actually worked for, at the, for the launch of the Hillary campaign for like the first seven months, um, helping them stand up their analytics department. Um, and then um, come time to come back to New York, graduating, um, I found this place at GSG, basically mm -hmm. because my personal consulting had grown to a point where I was like, I need some tech infrastructure. And they were saying, look, we look around here, we're a polling firm who really believes that analytics and polling should sit by si side by side and have that conversation and make sure that we sort of have what I believe to be true analytics with a heart. Um, and so we joined together and, and I helped them start that whole practice and stand it up about a year ago. Cool. What we often start with is just what our guests have learned about mm -hmm. communications. Um, this has been a pretty, obviously a pretty big year 
the last 12 months for communications in, in mostly bad ways. But um, I guess just like what are, from your perspective, analytics and communications, what, what's, what's like the biggest lesson or the biggest couple lessons you've learned? Sure. Um, I think it's hard to, to what you said, where it's, there have been some tough lessons, but one of the things I want us all to really remember is that in losses, we think we always have to rewrite the book, mm-hmm. and in wins, we think that's gospel. And I think that there were a lot of really amazing things that happened this cycle that were new and innovative that we shouldn't throw away just because other things didn't work and just because we lost. And I think that there were some not-so-good things we did in 2012 that shouldn't be held up high because we won. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say personally, and I've thought a ton about this because of the analytics background, mm-hmm. um, so back when I worked at McKinsey forever ago, um, one of the things that we would do as strategic partners is we would help people think through, okay, here's the most likely thing to happen, and then here are the four or five other likely things that are going to happen. Here's like those possibilities, and really contingency plan and be strategic thought partners. Um, in my experience with analytics, um, that didn't happen as much. And also with polling, we report out that top line number and say plus or minus three, plus or minus five. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't actually say there's a really big difference when a campaign's trying to plan um, between the number one thing that's going to happen is that you win by 52%. Number two is you win by 51% versus you're going to win by 52% or you're going to lose at 45%, right? Like, so you you need to have that balance so people can really be a strategic thought partner. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really uncomfortable. I think it's a really hard conversation to have. I think we're smart enough to do it. Um, I think campaigns that that's what we want. That's where we want to go. But I think that that piece is very, very tough of like, I'm going to go from saying we're going to win or we're going to lose to, (laughs) I don't know. I don't Mm -hmm. know. is a really hard thing to say. And in this case, when I think about how, analytics is communicated I would actually say that's my biggest learning is that sometimes we have to say I don't know this is the thing I haven't seen before Mm -hmm. this there's a really big I'm gonna variance Mm -hmm. on this and so there's a lot of options that could happen and let's think through what those are and let's think about what that means for how we allocate our resources and the choices that we make Mm -hmm. I'm interested in hearing um, you know what you guys at GSG are doing in terms of looking into messages that resonate as like with different constituencies Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the conversation since the election has been how the left has failed to communicate to large portions of the population um, and whether or not that's actually true so I guess I'm interested in hearing what you guys have been learning Um, We've done a lot of work on that, um, on immigration, on the environment. Um, One of the other things that we've also worked on is we've started to find this group of people that we're calling switchers at this point in time, which is actually the people we did this huge project with the DGA Mm -hmm. um, through this cycle uh, that where we talked to a number of people before the election, we called them back right after and asked them who they ended up voting for um, and modeled out um, who those people were. Um, and then we were able to, I think you saw similar sort of polling misses in 2015 with Conway. We actually, ha- we had done something similar there. And so we just, we were able to actually validate that's those people who are switching and moving around. Um, and then we just did it again with Quist in Montana. Um, and I, and right now we're having conversations about how we do this in the future. So in Virginia or New Jersey coming up, 
who are these people? How do we talk to them? The interesting thing about these switchers, it was like 13% of people said that they were voting one way and then afterwards said, no, I've actually voted for a different person at the gubernatorial level this last cycle. Um, and They're not allowed to do that. <laughs> right? That's not what you expect no. in polling. And yeah. But it, it first off tells us that no, when that poll is taken, it's a snapshot in time. And mm -hmm. we need to be more thoughtful and, oh my goodness, analytical in some ways and add the analytics into that to say, where is this going to move to? Mm -hmm. what, what is the trend that's happening and how do we follow it down the line? But also for these people, um, so these were folks who were changing their mind in the last four weeks of the election, which we know in 2016 was a huge shift. There were also a lot of late deciders. Um, and part of what we're looking at now is running focus groups and, and then going into surveys and finally running some experiments on who are they, how do we talk to these people, are they persuadable, are they whatever they heard last is how they vote, like what, what is this group? Um, and I hopefully that will change a ton for our future. On something like the immigration front, for example, I think, and it's what communication professionals have known for a long time, it's really about bringing it home. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people look at the gay rights movement and are like, why can't all other movements be like that? And why they could was because all of a sudden you had a father, son, cousin, friend who you knew who was gay. And when you thought about that movement, you thought about that person and you stopped thinking about the movement itself. Um, it's much harder in some of these cases with immigration where people don't necessarily know folks who are undocumented. But I think in saying um, that we're trying to push out as many undocumented immigrants as possible, talking, I think we found a lot of, when we talk about families and hopes and dreams, which I know Hadaway also talks about mm -hmm. a ton, that aspirations piece, um, it's very, very important in really personalizing it. And I, I think I even see this on a, a personal level where I came from a Republican family and I have friends who were super anti-immigration and then in the last few months when people have started to be scared have realized that there were undocumented folks who they didn't know they knew mm -hmm. who have come around and said hey I'm really scared I'm going to get deported would you take care of my house if something happened would you take care of my kid or my dog and all of a sudden the move it is not about um, all of these people come in taking our jobs and it is about what happens if my friend or this person I know in my community is gone? Mm -hmm. And I think it, the more that we can get to that and really personalize it, the better we're going to be. Because mm -hmm. um, we are people who care about people. Like, if, right or wrong, that's just how it is. Yeah. So I guess for people who don't know, what is analytics? What is <laughs> or, analytics? And, and maybe how it, how it works at a polling firm. We both run our traditional longer form surveys. But then in that, with some of our messaging, persuadables, other pieces, we run to a, to a much larger group of people, a shorter survey that, that asks them about a couple of messages and how they move and if they would sign a petition for this thing. So then I can build a model to say, okay, here's the 10,000 people in, the, in New Jersey that are most likely to sign a petition on mm -hmm. this environmental issue. Here are... Um, here are when we're doing a lot of education and schoolwork, here are the families most likely to have school-aged children that you should be sending mailers to. So I am often helping them. I think analytics usually takes that message and then helps you find the, the exact right people to mm -hmm. talk to. Um, and also I think sometimes when you have a couple of different messages that you're trying to weave together, helps you figure out where those different pieces of the quilt and the fabric all knit together with the different individuals. So that way you're, you can ensure that you're covering these different groups of people and you've got as much coverage as possible. 
Um, some of the other things I think that I'm doing that's helpful, and this is more on the public affairs and comm side really, is how it plays out in, in the public. So sort of that experimental design, which mm-hmm. I often call um, data-driven piloting, where we take what you're doing and we just help you set it. We, it's a little bit tougher on the front end to set it up correctly, but mm-hmm. then you know how much did it cost for me to get this benefit? Which of these two ways was better? A lot of times it's really hard to compare um, whether it's better to run a registration drive or have a neighbor to neighbor. Like when you're trying to figure out which tactic you want to take to get a bunch of petitions or to um, get people to show up to a town hall or any of these different things, um, get get really fired up, share a lot of things on Twitter. I mean, that's where mm-hmm. the digital, we're testing constantly what is working and what gets people going. Um, so that's how analytics tends to work in this place. And I on campaigns you build like a volunteer model and you build an activist model kind like in that same vein but i had not had the same sort of public affairs campaign that's like okay we need to get five thousand people into this room for this reason and how do we do that right now who are those people that we call Mm -hmm. um we are going to try to get this petition signed or we, we just need we also the other cool thing is with online and digital these days we can help find stories and things like that. So we have a, another piece of the analytics is actually to say, okay, we need a couple of press pieces that are gonna be really great. And so what analytics has is the capabilities to go through and scrape like online and look at what people have said about themselves or in different in different areas and find you people who have the story that you wanna tell. So it can say, okay, here's the top 30, here's like 30 good cases where this person on Reddit or Twitter or something has indicated that they have the issue that you wanna talk about. And so you you can then send someone to start talk calling those folks rather than like being like, does anybody know someone who knows someone? Yeah. Um, which is what we often spend a lot of yeah. our life doing. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's sort of helping us understand people and reach people in more sophisticated ways yeah so why why is it so much harder now to to get accurate like polling that, that's sort of the but is it i guess yeah is it is it that communication and um i guess the way people communicate and the way people consume information has changed so much um or are there are there other reasons i think it's two things i think number one Fewer people have landlines, and we really need to understand um, through the different ways. So we're doing a lot of testing as well on text message polling versus online polling that's matched to a voter file versus cell phones versus um, panels and other pieces and other work like that sort mm-hmm. of online that's slightly different versus like just like live landline versus IVR, which is cheap and quick, um, and who those people are, who can you reach by that, so we can build the best possible. Um, sample Mm -hmm. and really get the most accurate results for the least amount of money because the problem is as more and more people go to cell phones and cell phone response rates drop because now you you're like I don't know that number um, it gets more and more expensive to to finally get the right person the right Mm -hmm. kind of person you need to pick up the phone Mm -hmm. and so we need to figure out the cheaper better ways to get that like text messaging I think is a really great future um, I think we have to figure it out, like, legally, how all of that works. Mm-hmm. We have a couple of ways to test right now of, okay, this is within the legal bounds. Which of these two ways actually gets more people to reply? Whether it's, like, you get a link in your text and it goes to your mobile br- browser or a um, very simplified version that we start to build a text panel and then um, and have people who have opted in to taking those messages and get them to start responding and really taking it within their text 
um, platform. So that is really hard. I think the other thing that we just have to remember, and it's that point on the one number, mm-hmm. and also the switchers, is our news cycles are going so much faster. Um, if I don't read Twitter for two days, there are jokes that I will have missed forever, yeah. right? Like, yeah. um, and Which so, is kind of good. It's kind of a nice feeling. <laughs> Yeah, I think I've, I'm maybe like wasting my life slightly less for those two days. <laughs> um, but but in that, I think people used to be a little a little more um, firm about some of their ideas, and there was just it was things moved a lot less quickly mm-hmm. because your information ha- absorption was a lot slower. Um, and so I think there's also that piece of challenging with polling with analytics now to remember that these people are moving around, they are hearing things, and you need to have a, a fairly constant monitoring of what's happening. So part another thing that we're investing in right now is um, what we're calling surround sound listening. So mm-hmm. basically we're running open-end um, f- calls every day and then putting that next to Reddit and Twitter and a lot of these others, but we've matched Twitter to the voter file, so we take like a representative sample. Mm. Um, and we get a sense of... Yes, we're not running a full poll, but if things are moving drastically in some way, if something new is pushing to the top and we're just doing some natural language processing, which just means that it's like giving us a sense of the sentiment and the frequency and some basic ideas of what people are talking about and hearing mm-hmm. across a couple of platforms because Twitter's a little too elite and landlines are <laughs> less so. And mm-hmm. so mushing them all together, you're, you're going to get a better answer. Um, and I think that's important. I think that... If you do a poll way far out and there's been a ton of movement and news and other things, you can't expect that to hold anymore. And yeah. I think even less so. And I think 2016 really showed that is that things that happened at the end moved people. Yeah. I can see that from our work with EG8, they people moved. It was not necessarily shy voters or whatever. It was people said they were voting for one person at the end of the day voted for another. And that's really important to remember and to know and to try to monitor. Sorry, that might be a little depressing. Yeah, but. <laughs> kind of terrifying. Especially because like our president tends to embody the same quality. Right. Like the last person he talks to, he changes his opinion based on. So, which is probably why he communicates effectively with so many a people. a really high score on my switcher model. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you started touching on some of the opportunity there, I think, with with using different platforms and diff- and more data to mm-hmm. try and understand people's decision making. Right. Um, what other opportunities do you see out there for communicators? Yeah. So here's one that's just totally not analytics related, but I personally feel really strongly about. And that's, I, I think this time is super exciting. There are a ton of people who are engaged, who have never been before. Um, people are starting new organizations all over the place. I'm going to a fundraiser for one tonight. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I think that what we have to remember as all of these new local groups pop up and people feel inspired is who we want our party to be in 10 and 15 years and make sure that we're creating space mm. for those people. I, it's really easy. Like I'm, I'm as bad as everyone else where I'm going to my friend's fundraiser tonight and I don't think I'm going to a fundraiser of someone I don't know yet, but I, I really, I'm challenging myself to do it and I really challenge everyone else to pause and pay attention and see if they hear about new organizations or folks who are doing interesting work that's different, that is more reflective of who we wanna be. I really think we need to open this space for people of color, for women. We don't wanna, I don't think, again, we should be running a ton of white man, man tickets. Um, and so, 
I, I just really hope that we invest in this time where so many people are activated in growing the leaders of the next decade and really building our bench. Um, I think that's super important and I think it's something we all struggle with because it's easy to go to our friends and it's hard to find something totally new mm -hmm. or to be uncomfortable um, and like push yourself into a new community where you know no one. And Emily's List has done a lot in the past yeah. several months, right? They've been so great. They, I've heard that they had the greatest interest they've ever had in yeah. candidate recruitment. Yeah, um, thousands and thousands of, of women interested yeah. in running for office, which is great. What do you think about how we continue to engage and like leverage people's interests and the momentum that we've created and excitement and the stuff yeah. that we've been talking about? How do we make sure that doesn't fall as, by the way as a data person it hurts my heart because it's so segmented mm -hmm. i wish that there was a place there was like a Dropbox where everyone could send me their excel files and their google mm -hmm. sheets mm -hmm. and their forms and their sign-ins mm -hmm. and i could like try to like put that all together <laughs> so they were sharing this information yeah. and like some new group or some organizations coming through columbus ohio and we have the the 25 local groups in columbus have have pulled that information or they really want to have like a big like event together that I don't know if I have a good answer yet. Maybe I should actually do that. Maybe I should just open a Dropbox and say, <laughs> drop it in here, please don't well, come for me, Russia. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's the danger of like all the new groups, right? Yeah. That's what I think of right away. Like all these mm -hmm. new groups are doing awesome work, but how do we like what they're kind of splintering people's attention, which right. I guess is better than them not existing at all. But how do we, so that I guess those are two separate questions. How do we leverage people's interests, but also not lose people's attention because there are just too many options. You yeah. Know? Mm -hmm. And I think we have to be smart. I, so I did, I worked on OFA. I, I was part of the training class after 2012 that went into local communities for organizing for action. Hmm. Um, and one of the things that I was not part of the healthcare OFA, um, but they talked about and were really careful about in that, that last wave of organizing for action was that, um, the first time they tried to tell people what to care about, and this last time they really wanted to allow those local groups and chapters that they were trying to stand up to define what was important to them. Mm. Because the fact of the matter is, we have like national platforms that we care a ton about, but in that community, it might be getting that road fixed or getting air conditioning in the school, and like that is so much more important getting making sure that there's clean water which may go with our platform at the moment but may not mm -hmm. um and helping to meet people where they are i think mm -hmm. so much of what we learned this cycle is that you have to meet people where you where they are and you you can't stick with all the tradition traditional methods and think people will come along um i think that we have to continue and i think if you ask me where people are going to be in another two years, I'm not even sure that platform has been exist like has been mm -hmm. invented yet, um, of where they're going. And and I think we really have to check ourselves and make sure that we are engaging with people where they are on the issues that care they care about and listening. If we hear that in so many local communities, these these pieces are the, like air conditioning schools is a really big problem. 10 year old, like whatever, whatever it is, um, elderly housing. Mm -hmm. We, I, the other piece with this fragmentation is we don't have a sense of what are people fighting for town by town. Um, and I wish we did because it could become part of our national platform and it could really help us determine our messaging and how to engage with people yeah. um, at, a, at a higher level because, or even more personal level, not higher level, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> because that's what they care about. And mm -hmm. I think we forgot that sometimes. What you said at the beginning, like one of your lessons was just learning that you have to say, I don't know, sometimes. And it sounds like the 
rationale for that is just that we don't really we we need to keep listening so that we can because we don't we don't know where people are going or where people are going to be things are changing quickly yeah is that part of it is that part of that i think it's always keep listening keep testing Mm -hmm. i I will say that because i'm an analytics Mm -hmm. person that um we will have best practices and we should challenge all of them um and and I would say that post a winning year in 2020 and post a losing year in 2020, that it, it showed us that we did some great things in 12 and those things did not work in 16. We're now gonna test everything for 2020. After that, we actually have to test again, even if we win, because yeah. resting on our laurels isn't gonna work for us anymore. Yeah. Um, and we need to be really thoughtful about that. So the way we like to end these is to ask, ask if you have a specific idea or insight that you would share with people who are listening who are doing communications as their, as their job and um, might be able to take something and apply it to their work um, to help communicate more effectively. Anything you would throw out there? Oh, golly. Um, lots of things. I mean, make sure you read Fox News every morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, hmm. One of the things that I do personally on whatever campaign I'm on is I like shoot pool. Mm -hmm. Um, And I usually try to join a pool team about 30 to 45 minutes out of side of whatever city I'm in. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's a, and I lie about what I do. I'm like, I work in IT. And Mm -hmm. then people ask me how to fix their printer. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But but it's to your point of listening and I think what's been a continued theme, but it's so important. I think it also bursts our bubble on what the momentum is. In 2012, I was in Colorado um, for the last eight months, and I would have thought living in Denver, working on the, in the campaign office, that like things were awesome. Mm-hmm. And all I had to do was drive out to Golden, which is where I shot pool, and just be at a bar for a few nights and, and listen to how people are hurting and just like live their life with them for a moment, um, one night a week. and. That gave me a lot of perspective and also reminded me what I was fighting for. It is not, I will say, it is not just about listening and learning and bursting your bubble in those ways. It will remind you the people that you're fighting for because often they can't fight for themselves and they are not necessarily going to be on the same side as you, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I was playing with a lot of people who probably voted for Romney in that Mm -hmm. case, but I knew I was... When I was listening to them talk about some of the struggles that they had, I knew that I was working for someone who could help them. Um, and I think that can also be, in this time where it's really tough, helpful a helpful reminder because the world is exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, that's a really practical application of, like, getting out of your bubble. So that's – thank you for – being yeah. specific so we just all need to go undercover and <laughs> outside <laughs> of our but think, yeah. but think whatever whatever it is i mean that's yeah. why i say I, it can be really easy as having an alternate twitter stream mm-hmm. that's completely conservative mm-hmm. um i think folks get really mad at people who um haven't seen turned around on trump and if you read fox news every day you would know they have no idea what's happening if that is your news source they don't know mm-hmm. um I think, and I think that's really tough. Um, another very practical mm-hmm. um, thing I would say on communicating for the future is I think it's tough for us with all these folks. We feel almost betrayed by the number of people who voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. And it's very personal. Um, we feel that pain. And I think sometimes what we end up doing, because it personally hurts so much, is we, um, we attack on not the right things at the moment. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. Case in point, um, Trump, his Twitter, there's a ton of things that you can attack that are like 
awful that he says. Um, we'll get like we'll want to go for the cheap zing of like, oh, you spelled something wrong, mm-hmm. um, which actually alienates the people that we most want to turn around. Mm-hmm. And so I want to also challenge all the communicators out there to really stay focused and keep their eye on the prize, um, and also be careful about not calling the fo- like Trump supporters dumb or um, making fun of people for a lack of intelligence or lack of education. Because at the end of the day them getting educated is a thing that we are fighting for. Yeah. And so reminding them of them of that can be so harmful um, and feel like personally alienating in a way that I don't think we want to. Well, this has been really great conversation and good, good, helpful insights. So thank you, Emily, for taking the time to Thank to join you us. guys. This was yeah. fun. Thanks again for tuning in to Achieve Great Things. If you like what you hear, subscribe on iTunes and give us a review there. Um, shoot us an email at podcast at hadaway.com. If you have thoughts, suggestions, comments, thank you very much for listening. See you next week. This is the choice we now face. This is what the election comes down to. Over and over, we've been told by our opponents that bigger tax cuts and fewer regulations are the only way. That since government can't do everything, it should do almost nothing. If you can't afford health insurance, hope that you don't get sick. If a company releases toxic pollution into the air your children breathe, well, That's the price of progress. If you can't afford to start a business or go to college, take my opponent's advice and borrow money from your parents. You know what? That's not who we are. That's not what this country's about. 